So I was one of those kids, one of those Alaskan kids that grows up here with no real appreciation for the place, saying they're gonna leave as soon as they can, get out, see the world. It's just too cold up here, too far away, isolated from the rest of the world. So I really got out. So I left 11 years, and now I've lived in six countries and four different states, and always looking for something different, always looking for someplace a little warmer. My parents had originally moved up here from California. They'd come up on their honeymoon, and after starting a family in California, they moved up permanently in 89, and um, we traveled a few times just to visit family on the West Coast every few years, um, but not nearly as much as I really had a desire to. And when I was 16, I told my dad, Dad, when I turn 18 and I'm graduated high school, I'm out of here, I'm out, we're done. And he told me later that he was offended by me saying that at the time. But when it came time to actually leave, and I was doing what I was going to say, he, he said, I would have kicked you out if you hadn't gone. <laughs> so true to my word, I left, and I kind of had a, kind of a keen fascination with the Wild West. So I thought Wyoming would be a good spot. Headed there, did my four years. Uh, but when I was done, I wasn't quite ready to go back to Alaska. It was still kind of too familiar too many other places that I'd, my eyes had kind of been opened up to and wanted to see. So I somehow got in my head that Tennessee might be a cool spot. I heard that the Smokies were beautiful, and hey, mountains, I like mountains. And I kind of had a, it was ripe with southern culture, and that was kind of my newest cultural fascination at the time. So off I went, found myself in Knoxville, substitute teaching in a kindergarten classroom, and so one day I complimented this little black runner hair and said, oh, I like your braids today. Miss Lindale, you call them dreads. <laughs> I felt like that ignorant white girl from Alaska, but it was definitely one of those experiences that I will never forget. And it was, the Smokies were beautiful, but it was really hard not consciously comparing them to the mountains of home and getting to the top of a mountain and feeling like you're actually on top of a mountain, not on a tree-lined ridge. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a good, good years there, and, but I kind of had a desire to, I knew I wanted to teach overseas, and China had never been on my list, but a job opening posted, was posted, and I applied, and things kind of just fell into place. So I found myself on a flight to Shanghai, and they dropped me off at my apartment first, dropped myself off, went to the school, and did fill out some paperwork, and then they give me a printout of a Google, just a Google map printout of, of the city, or just that area where I was in, and they weren't going to take me home, nothing, so I'm looking at this map, it's all in, in Chinese, and I'm like, okay, well, if I just like, get my point of reference, I might be able to get back home, so that was kind of the start, like, here I was in the most populous city in the world, so we're 24 million people, and, and this girl from Alaska just, you know, squishing out of the subway to get to work, and and trying to avoid the smell of stinky tofu cooking and <laughs> getting the best and the cheapest food I've ever had and trying not to get ripped off at the fake markets. It's always fun. And one year turned into two. And that summer I, I went home and the next year I was coming back and it felt like I was going home. And that feeling surprised me because I had read good student taught originally in Guatemala and I heard North American teachers from all over just say, you know, I have no desire to return back to you know, Canada or the U.S. or wherever they were from. And I, I didn't understand that at the time. I mean, not that I was homesick for Alaska specifically, but just for familiarity, it started to feel lonely. But that second year in China, it, 
it was like, oh, I get it now. This is so familiar now, and this is my home right now. Not that it will be forever, but, but here we are. Uh, but a few years, I went back to the States, uh, taught English there for a bit, and then, but I still couldn't shake the desire to go, to go abroad once more. So I kind of had the Middle East in the back of my mind. It's one of those places, I mean, you know, we all hear about it regularly, um, either terrorism or, or interpretations of Islam or Muslims around the world, including our own country. So like with China, there were so many stereotypes that I felt like I'd broken in my own mind. So I wanted to see what it was really like. I uh, got a job in teaching in Kuwait. It was all girls, and we used international curriculum, but it was it respected Islamic traditions. So yeah, I had a class of girls, which is quite a dramatic experience. <laughs> um, and I remember I often tried to go out running. Um, I covered up quite a bit, just to be respectful. Um, and I was running on morning. It was a Friday morning, their holy day, so pretty quiet. Try to get up before it got to 120 degrees, too hot. I mean, I was looking for somewhere warmer, but that was kind of pushing it. <laughs> and off, going off on a quiet street, and all of a sudden, I see this blood pooling in the street. And I kind of slowed down, like that fear starts to hit you a little bit. But then I'm like, no, I feel pretty safe here. Like you get stared at a lot, you kind of get used to that. But I felt pretty safe after a while. But so this blood is, I'm like, what? So I just peeked behind into this courtyard and, and there was a family standing in the courtyard quietly and there was a lamb that they had just slaughtered. And I remembered that it was Eid. And I was like, wow, this is like raw culture right here. <laughs> this is what I came to see. This is, this is what I wanted and, and now I'm here experiencing it. So I just briefly observed and quietly and, and went on my way. Another experience that sticks out to me, um, one of my students' parents, she was also a teacher, and she was always, she was always the last one to pick up her student, and, and here she was. She, um, she always had a niqab on and never saw her face, and she, um, we always had some good conversations. She had a class of boys, I had a class of girls, you know, different stories, I'm not sure who had it worse. <laughs> um, and there was one time that we had gotten a, a warning from the embassy, we kind of got those a few times, and just saying, you know, be careful, there was a threat made online to Westerners or uh, Americans specifically, that just be careful. So the school had upped their security measures, and she was a little miffed that, that it was in this situation, and it was a little bit harder to forget in the school property that day. And so I explained to her why, why it was a little bit harder that particular day, and she said, oh, Miss Laura, I'm so sorry. She's like, you know, we are scared of the same people you are. It was in that moment, I was like, this is uniting us together here, this woman from a completely different culture, but here we were. And Kuwait never quite started to feel like home like China had. So I started to think more about Alaska that year and, and going home. And as time and circumstance would have it, I just moved back in July and surprised myself probably more than anyone else. Maybe my dad too, but this time he's not kicking me out. <laughs> and moving on from teaching, going back to school, and, and you know, Alaska's changed. And more importantly, I've changed. And as long, as much as I, I still think about places and I want to go see and travel more, I'm happy to be back and happy that Alaska will always be home.